0: Hi friends, and welcome to Trauma and Triumph. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of powerful women who have taken their trauma and transformed it into triumph. I'm your host, Krista Janine, best known for my IG handle, Krista Janine, where I discuss health, wellness, social justice, single parenthood, and everything in between. But most importantly, where I discuss how we can all take trauma and transform it into triumph in our lives. During Season 1, you're going to meet a variety of amazing women who have overcome tremendous obstacles, setbacks, and trauma to become the extraordinary people they are today. On this week's episode, we have Mel Douglas. Mel is the founder of Black Women's Yoga Collective. She's a yoga instructor, Black lesbian activist, and wellness advocate. On this episode, we take a deep dive into Black womanhood and the trauma associated with it globally what is one trauma centered event you've experienced in your life that strikes you as the most pivotal?
1: I mean, I'm a black woman,
0: <laughs>
1: which is an inherently traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, I guess that's like really broad, but I would say definitely, I would say that because it's, in, I mean, it informs everything, right? It, it, it informs my entire experience from before I even understood that as like an identity or a thing that was happening or anything. So yeah, I would have to say that. And I mean, coming into the understanding of what it means to be a black woman into America in America is like traumatic as well later when you like really get what it means for you and like
0: for your life
1: and everything. So let's see those things. Yeah.
0: So is there like a moment in particular that really like shifted your reality in regards to how you kind of navigated the world around you?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, my family, when I was little, I was like seven, we were the first black family to move into a house on our street. There was no other black families on the whole entire street, like not even like, oh, there was there was none just and then slowly like more came but um growing up in that neighborhood was really interesting and of course like, a lot of different things that, like, as an adult, I understand, were, like, terrible or traumatic or, like, wrong would happen then, because it was just, there weren't really very many people who looked like us in that neighborhood, and um, it was very Italian and a very Jewish neighborhood, so very, like, specific communities as well that are, like, tight-knit communities, Um, so I would say definitely that, like, we moved from a very Black neighborhood, to an only white environment basically. And while I don't think I realized it until much later, um, all of those experiences in those predominantly white spaces, like so many of them were traumatic. And so many of them, I think informed the way that I move now in like trying to do community work and in like where I feel comfortable, how I engage when I engage with different communities I think it was all informed by like realizing how much stuff was like not okay in the spaces when I was growing up and like, you know, just realizing like, Oh, that was like, that was traumatic. And it traumatized me, And I didn't even know, you know, because that wasn't something we were really aware of then. And there weren't people around questioning all that stuff. So I would say like just growing up in that neighborhood, um, was really pivotal for me because I think it it forced me to be active in understanding who I am, where I come from, my identity, like, what it means to be who I am and all of that stuff, um, because it wasn't just, like,
0: regular there. Yeah. And then, so even in regards to that, did you have a lot, like, of moments growing up where you... Wish that you were somebody else, or wish that you looked a different way because of the neighborhood you grew up in, and you felt like maybe it'd be easier if I was just X instead of you know Z. Well, I wouldn't say like I never wished I was wiring, but like that was yeah. <laughs> 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 like.
1: Um... I don't feel like I did. I I feel like I always vibed with my blackness. Um, And I'm from a, I'm a first generation American from a Caribbean immigrant family. So like we have a very strong culture too. Um, So no, but I would say I definitely, there were things that I wished like were different that I recognize now are more cultural, like my body, like being in my body. I've always been very like curvy when I was younger I was I feel like when I was younger I was probably the size I am now like as a younger person and so that's different than like you know going to junior high with all these girls who are like in limited too and it was like Nothing was very limited yeah, to, I know. understand. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it was there was such a vast difference in like things like that. Or like even what you're wearing being viewed differently. It's like all these, you know, like really thin white girls in like short shorts and the little tiny clothes, but it's like if you wear that, then it's like a whole different reaction or response to it. Right. Um, and hair. I mean, of course, hair. Um feeling like like I didn't remember begging my mom for a little just for me perm yeah I remember that and like it did not it was was not good like ultimately <laughs> when I see those pictures I'm like that was a fluffy little fried mess but I just wanted this the straight hair yeah. um but I don't think it was I w- I'm also Puerto Rican and uh my like Puerto Rican side of my family like my cousins all have like the longer hair the straighter hair and all that stuff so I think it was like a blend of like being surrounded by it in my neighborhood and then also having that like part of my family that like I felt really different from Mm -hmm. um but yeah it definitely like made me wanna and I mean when we were like younger the now I look back at like the celebrities and the starlets and I'm like those girls were like yeah like legit all bones visible and like no shade to any any sort of body but like the fact that every single starlet was like a little tiny skeleton with skin walking around yeah that's who we were trying to emanate it's like of course I hated my body like it was yeah you know, everyone we saw was like rail thin. You could count their ribs and like see their hip bones, things that yeah. I don't think are like now I wouldn't want that. But then that was like what we were seeing in the videos and the shows. So it was like that combination of
0: it all really. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I just watched an episode of Red Table Talk and they were talking about racism within the Latinx community and how people don't discuss it often because it's something that's kind of like, well, you know, this term, even Afro-Latina, right? Like that is a new term. I say it all the time.
1: I say yeah. it all the time because I tell, like I joke with people that I forget that I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. But it's not that I forget that I'm Puerto Rican. It's that that term didn't exist for the majority of my life as yeah. an identifier. That wasn't something that you had to like, hold on to. It was just that you were a black girl. Like, yeah, you might've been, unless you like happened to speak Spanish or something, okay. you know, right. <laughs> you, it was invalidated that part of you, unless you had those like stereotypical identifiers, right. um, so yeah, it is weird, or even within the community, you know, it w- wasn't embraced. Um, like if you had like more black features that it was seen okay. as like, you know, you were kind of different, you were, um, yeah. So it was like, the the nickname was like Morena, which just means black girl. Yeah. But it's like, you know, yeah. it's kind of like that other category that you yeah. pushed into. So, yeah.
0: So then how do you feel like you were able to find a strong sense of self and identity as an adult, having to navigate all of those like intersectionalities as a child? Like, what's that process been like for you? It's interesting.
1: I can exist in any space, like just easily. I can exist in around all, all white people, any, any space really, because I'm just so used to that, like, and being in that space of needing to transition and figure it out but um it's interesting because I at some point and I don't really know when like uh, the person I was dating was in college and I had taken a year off of college but I really like learning yeah not school but learning
0: yeah yeah yeah. no I understand it she
1: she was taking like um an african-american literature class and a gender studies class and i would just read all the books that she read for her courses like just to keep myself busy keep my mind active and stuff and it really revolutionized (laughs) us. like we're still friends now and it's funny but we're both really really um and to community work and activism and stuff like that. And it was really those courses and like reading those books, reading Native Sun Mm -hmm. and like learning more things um, and like seeing the different like artwork from those times and like the different like, just all the different stuff that people were putting out that we had never been shown or exposed to or anything. And it was like, oh, like there's something here that's like not, what's been presented to us so far and just like learning more and more. And then back to when Mike Brown was killed Mm -hmm. and um, those things were happening then, I was definitely like when Black Lives Matter started and everything, I was in New York and we were protesting intensely then um, and that was my first, definitely, taste of like that realm of identity of like, oh, this like community work is something that like sparks something in me, and like just that stuff. And then later, like developing a relationship with yoga. So it all just sort of snowballed. I think from just coming to understand like, oh, there's a reason that I feel kind of outside of all of this stuff because it doesn't include it doesn't include all of the stuff that like would
0: is me <laughs> yeah well no because I think and, and the nice thing about it is well from the outside looking in is that you do exist in so many different intersectionalities right like you're black and you're Puerto Rican and you're also identify as queer and like you have so many spaces that don't often overlap but then also do and when I say they don't overlap, it's like we don't identify them as overlapping intersectionalities, but they exist in people that we engage with on a regular basis that perhaps don't care to share it or perhaps lean more toward one side of their identities than the others. So I think it's, it's interesting to see it from the outside looking in because I do feel like you fully embody everything that you are, but like understanding from your perspective of like, well, I never really fit into any like bubble it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense from that perspective, but it also seems like it was a very empowering thing for you to be more actively engaged in your community and like speak up on, on circumstances that you can relate to in a personal level that a lot of people are experiencing, but don't get to talk about because it's not like in the forefront of media rotation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's a great like space of empowerment that you've stepped into yourself just through like that self-discipline and learning and understanding the different ways these intersectionalities actually can coexist together and move us forward as, as a society, you know? And I would love to hear more about just like when you did start becoming more actively involved in the community and kind of how you took that first step forward to, to get involved and engaged.
1: Yeah um I would say the the original like the first protest I ever went to which is I think what like is really the catalyst of all of it over the journey was Occupy Wall Street Mm -hmm. which was like years ago, it was a financial protest that was in Wall Street was in New York on Wall Street. They like took over this park. They camped out there. It was like a whole thing. They were there for weeks. It was the first time I ever saw anything like that. And I like went with I had graduated high school, but I went with like my high school a history teacher or something like I don't know and then I was like okay get like people do things like this now like this is not a history thing and then when the protest started around like Eric Garner and Mike Brown I was just so moved at that time to to do something that I would go and I would march a lot and it was really rough like the experiences that I had definitely made me like downtrodden like I realized like Marching is not, ultimately not my space because it's very draining. It is, it doesn't, I think that my space is more in the healing uh, realm. So Eventually I shift away from that, but it was like starting to go to those protests, seeing like how we were treated. It was, you know, pepper sprayed for no reason, (laughs) shoved around, like, you know, all kinds of like terrible stuff, cursed at, yelled at, thrown stuff, stuff thrown at us just for being out, you know, speaking up. And then, so after that, I took a break because it was just like really heavy to do. And then eventually I found yoga and once I found yoga I knew right away like I just knew right away that it was the thing and before I even became a teacher I started the collective um, and I knew right away I wanted to become a teacher and so I like started to do that and it just all rolled into whatever I'm doing now I don't, really know. <laughs> I don't really know exactly what I'm doing now like the collective I know what the collective is doing um and it's definitely just a space where I want it to always be really affordable really accessible really community-based where it's like this is I want it to be clear that like this is for everyone and I want it to be an organization that brings yoga to anyone not just people who do yoga not just like you know cue matching outfits but just like anyone who wants to come and move can afford to and knows that they'll be welcome there in that space. They'll be comfortable and like fine. So that's that. And then for me, I feel like it's just really turned into this practice of being like for a long time, I, I was so focused on like what we're taught to do, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, get, get a good job and like be secure. And like, Um, work really hard and like whatever you know those like I actually just hate that idea that like rich people don't sleep eight hours a day or like whatever
0: (laughs) that that, because which isn't true it's not true they sleep very much they do they rest often and most people who are successful say one key to their success is the fact that they rest
1: so it's like I I eventually it's so I feel like I just it turned into like a practice of shifting away from that mentality as black women it's so deeply ingrained in us to be doing 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 producing 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 like we always have to be creating values saving fixing rescuing and it's like so much and realizing like oh I really don't have to do anything and like by just focusing on pouring into myself the community aspect it's like that's how I can be of service to everyone else in like so many bigger ways so I feel like just that's been my journey like moving from like oh I want to because I used to think I wanted to be a resource right and I realized that that's like not what I want at all I want to be a person and I want to create resources and have them available to people but I don't particularly want to be a resource because I can that's like exhausting yeah um So I think that's been just my journey with all of it.
0: Well, and I think there's so many things there that are practical and important for people to acknowledge. I just did a workshop on Saturday morning for a group of... activist fellows that were at a training session and the thing that I tell people all the time and something that I had to come to grips with myself is like activism has many different forms and it doesn't mean that you were always like out in the forefront like marching on the street or like giving these super profound speeches about how our country and world is like inequitable for most people who live in it like it looks it looks so many different ways and everything is necessary and everything is designed for who it's for right it's like certain people cannot like you said, cannot exist in a space of protesting all the time because it is emotionally draining and it's too much mentally, physically, and spiritually to be in that space on a consistent basis, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, many people don't have the attributes or skill sets to help with the healing process of things and help people process, oh, that was a traumatic experience you went through and these are some tools you can use to like process what happened to you and vice versa. So everything is necessary. I think some things just aren't as celebrated or elevated as others, um, which is unfortunate.
1: It's so much tied into the idea that everything has to be hard. Mm -hmm. Like everything valuable is hard because like in reality, finding joy in any capacity is a radical act for black people. Like, yeah. it just is, right? Because we it wasn't set up for us here. It wasn't designed that we would have it here. We okay. to, Finding some sense of wholeness here, a radical act, right? Yeah. Like, literally goes against how it was set up to be for us here, to be whole. Yeah. So, yeah. like, we think that we have to be, like, grit and grindstone churning everything out. But it's, like, actually, like, you taking a
0: nap is, like... <laughs> Is a it's a radical act.
1: <laughs> it is yes. It's like you taking a mental health day. You take any any of those small things, but we're taught that like we have to get it out the mud, you know. And it's yeah. like maybe it's not in the mud. Maybe it's, yeah, it's somewhere and, nice.
0: <laughs> and maybe it's not always a fight. And I think that when we think about social justice and we think about creating equality, we think of it in a realm of like, you have to fight so hard for it and you have to do, you have to do so much, but sometimes it is removing yourself from a situation and creating your own space, which I mean, seems like, oh yeah, duh. But a lot of people are like, no, I want to fight to be in this space that, you know, I should be allowed to be in. And sometimes it is being like, well, until they realize what they're doing, we can still create this safe space for ourselves. (laughs) And also, and I I was reading a meme the other day um, that was saying most Black women who have anxiety or depression don't identify it that way. They feel like they're failing. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because we've been taught that unless you're doing things to your maximum potential at all times, that you're not doing enough or that you're failing or that you don't deserve rest and you don't deserve X, Y, and Z. And that's just an unrealistic way to live. Like everything needs a moment to breathe and break and like reset. So to your point, for us to think that we just have to go, go, go and fight so hard, it isn't unlearning for our community, right? Because I'm not trying to fight all the time. I like taking naps they're great
1: (laughs) and it's like it's like the the idea is so deeply ingrained in us that when we try to shift the mentality it's viewed as like a negative thing or like as we're trying to hold each other back or you know like lazy or whatever but it's like clearly something about the way we've been going is not working And something, some things about it are because we've reached this point with our community where we are in a space of like focusing on healing and focusing on wellness more yeah, and like reclaiming ancestral practices and spirituality and all of that stuff. And so some things are working, but it's like there, I think there's a fear around letting go of European ideas of success. Like yeah. uh, those Eurocentric ideas of success, where it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be so hard. And it doesn't have to be that we get what they got. Like, yeah. that's how I feel about it. Like, I think, like you said, there's a space for every single part of work that someone is doing in the movement. I fully believe that. But I can't imagine myself like really hyper focusing on reparations. Yeah because it's out of my control right and if all of my energy is poured into something that's out of my control yeah. how am I gonna feel or I can't even like there's so many things that like drive me crazy or a little bit you know or bother me I mean I go to yoga studios in California yeah, yeah.
0: which is in the, the, yeah. the
1: the the body ideology horrendous the like language around different things is terrible. Like sometimes I'm in a class and I'm like, this should be more of a suggestion than a <laughs> <resurrection." laughs> you know, Like it's just like, yeah, it. but it's like, you know, being able to just shift away from that and realize like, oh, we're allowed to do all these things. We're allowed to pause, we're allowed to rest. We're allowed to, you know, find, luxury that doesn't just look like expensive shit because that's yeah. what we were taught by other people right to beer and to like yeah. so it's so many different parts
0: and i think the thing that's so interesting that i feel like a lot of us are starting to really unpack is that it's not even necessarily a european ideology because europeans think americans are stupid like yeah. the way we live our life like that is how we are seeing globally that we are doing it wrong, you know? And this is from, you know, the ancestors of people who came here and claimed this land saying, that's not how you should be living life. So I think it's that, it's the brainwashing that happened as this country was developing and really leaning into capitalism. Like, you know what I mean? so
1: funny because I say this all the time, but I'm like, I feel like, fuck the forefathers, right? absolutely but i can't believe that the same niggas who was throwing tea into the harbor
0: right
1: believe that i should give 40 percent of everything i earned to the government i can't believe that yeah. they think that they were tossing their most precious beverage into the
0: harbor yeah,
1: so that i could give half of everything i earned to the government i just don't see it doesn't line up and yeah. i don't even think they were great but if you say That you're
0: like looking to them. Right. This isn't the direction. Well, then, this is also like the problem with like (laughs) the American society, right? We believe things at face value and don't take a, a deep dive down the history like path right and I think a lot of people now and especially in our generation because we have access to so much information and we can do our own research and do our own history and really understand the things that have transpired that got us where we are today because a lot of the things that we live in today didn't really come about until the early like 1900s mm-hmm. but we don't discuss that because everybody thinks like oh yeah this is just how it's and it's like if you really even dive into the constitution in its original nature that's not even what they were saying then so i think it's it's interesting you bring that up because we don't do the the self study to figure out how we even got here even from like a biblical and religious standpoint a lot of people go around disbelieving things and they don't even understand how the bible that we know today right came to be or the fact that it's been rewritten since like the 1900s like it was rewritten again right. and or even no- taking taking at face value
1: what is there let's say it's yeah. like the picking and choosing oh yeah available information by us, everyone at large is so crazy yeah. um like i see a lot of people eating shrimp
0: yeah it's just like right but like even to that point it's like and this is my biggest issue and not to go off on a tangent Mm with like christianity and how they get so deeply connected to the old testament and i'm like as a christian that's just there as a as a history book for you i know that's not there as a way to live your life the new testament is the way that you're supposed to be living your life if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of like christianity it's like you're not Jewish you're not Muslim like you you are a Christian and therefore these are the things you really should be leaning into but some of the most hateful like insensitive people are Christians because they're picking and choosing to your point what they really want to lean into specifically in the black community which is so interesting to me but then again it goes into the brainwashing of our ancestors that has been passed down from generation to generation so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of generational trauma that we, and people like love to give millennial shit, but we're unlearning ourselves and then reiterating to our like parents and uncles Mm -hmm. and aunts and grandparents. And even though they don't always get it, I think we are that generation that is starting to shift how we look at things.
1: I mean, definitely.
0: And you can see the impact of it
1: so much across the board. And I mean, as much as people talk, it is the reason that that, like, youth and kids now are so different is because of us. Like, I look at my little sisters in the way that they are, and I know that it's because of the work that I've done to yeah. like impact change within my family as a whole. You know, I was the first person in my family to go to therapy, and now I'm pretty sure that like most of my family is in therapy in some capacity, including my mom, my stepdad, yeah. and it's like no. And it was weird to start going to therapy. Like I, I like just like one day I asked my mom for a ride. I had started going just on my own, you know, and then one day I asked like, can you give me a ride here? And she was like, yeah, okay. And then we get there and she's like, where is this? And I'm like, it's my therapist. And I like kind of just like therapy (laughs) outed the car, ran out of the car. (laughs) Coming out a second time, kind of, but it's really shifted Like their viewpoint of it. And that's been for so much stuff too. Like, we are the ones who are doing that within our families. I know that a lot of the change that I've made within my own life has impacted the things that my family does, the way that my family interacts, and all that stuff. And so it's like, I know that the experience will be different for the next generations and the Mm -hmm. next. And like, so we're we are the ones who are doing it and it's why we're so fucking tired
0: (laughs) yeah and it's also why we're over the shits it's like I'm not trying to work till I'm 65 you know what I mean like
1: me and all my
0: friends are like yeah I want to retire 45 50 at the latest I'm not trying to work my whole life it's a trap it's and it's a ridiculous trap and it's a trap that only feeds into like capitalism like and then the
1: idea is that at 65 you can do
0: everything you ever wanted and I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Like it's, I remember the first time I went um, to, well, not the first time I, went, I was born in Germany, but the first time I went to Europe as an adult mm-hmm. and my mom was like, why would you like, you know, spend all that money and blah, blah, blah. You should be saving money. And I was like, I could die tomorrow. And then I would have never gone to Greece. Yeah, like You know what I mean? It's like, there are certain aspects of the way we live our lives. That is the here and now, but also like understanding that life is going to end and we don't have control of when it when it ends and we're trying to get the most out of life now as opposed to waiting until we're 65 to try and then we're and too old to do anything
1: as much as people do talk about us we are we like have come to this moment like as a generation as like a group we really have like learned how to be now And like that does look more frivolous to I think the people who like weren't able to live like that and who were always kind of like, oh, I have to save and I have to like plan just in case. And it's like, yeah, all that stuff. Or like even there are some people in our generation who are like hyper focused on paying off their student loans, let's say, and like, I don't care. They not have, I don't care. I don't care. You can't have it back. You, first of all, you swindled me. You trapped me. I was a child. (laughs) And you, for some reason, no one would have handed me $50,000 at 18, but they slowly etched it to me over a few years like bullshit. And so I don't care about it. If the choice is down to, uh, paying my student loan bill or like doing something I really want to do I'm absolutely going to do the thing I really want to do like because I don't care about that how is that I don't feel good when I make my payments I don't it's not like yeah you know shifting that ideology of not like he knows when the doorbell rings that someone is here I love it shifting that ideology of not like just doing what I need to do but like, what do I want to do? What do I care about? What will make me feel good thinking about it in five years that I did that then? You know?
0: Yeah. There's not the loan bills. Right. And also, I, I tell people this all the time. Like, that's like monopoly money. That's not real money. Like, I'm sorry. But and that I'm not even gonna give that too much more time because I feel like student loan debt is so ridiculous that. It should be wiped clean, and they need to figure out a new way for people to go to college if they really want them to go to college. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But I want to backtrack just a little bit Mm -hmm. because you were talking about how you're the first person in your family to go to therapy. What? One, what was that like for you, that mental like fortitude to be like, I know I need this, even though this isn't something that I've grown up seeing and nobody in my immediate family or maybe even extended family would experience. What led you to go to therapy and think of it as a way of like really healing?
1: I was just in a really bad place. I was just in a really bad place. And I was like, I have a mood disorder which I didn't get diagnosed until I went to therapy so uh it comes with like these depressive episodes that can last anywhere from like two to six weeks Mm -hmm. um and then manic episodes which are just like really hyper um and those last also anywhere from two to six weeks and so You know, not knowing that and understanding that I had a lot of like what I thought were like mood swings or just like a lot of ups and downs, like so many. And by the time I was like maybe 23 or 24, it just had really come to a head. And I was just like really not good. And I didn't feel good. And I remember like calling a friend one night, like a really a friend who had been my friend for a long time. And I just remember talking to her about like how I just didn't feel right. Um, and I was like crying and everything and I don't know I just decided then I don't think that there was like a thing I'm sure I had learned about therapy and all that stuff but I don't think there was like no one told me or anything it just was like I think I need to go talk to somebody
0: about something (laughs) and yeah and it just I went did you feel like your family was going to judge you for going
1: I feel like they were gonna kind of like raise an eyebrow in a sense I mean like I said no one was in therapy I think that a lot of times in our community too it's seen as like something for crazy people or for white people yeah or like rich people who have time to worry about problems that aren't survival yeah <laughs> And so I don't know, I guess I just felt like there's like a stigma around, or there was more of a stigma around it. It felt like, and so, um, yeah, I just wasn't sure how they were going to receive it. And I think that a lot of times for, uh, for me, like my mom was really young when she had me, she was, um, 19 and she had my brother when she was 18. So we, like, she was so young when we were growing up that now that I'm like, older than she was it just blows my mind that she had two small children yeah (laughs) I'm like like you know when she was my age I was 11 yeah and I'm like oh my god like what would I do with an 11 year old (laughs) and and it's like so then it's like I just always feel like um like, I feel pretty protective of my mom. Like yeah. she was so young, especially now. I just feel like she was so young and I never, like, I worried sometimes that she'll feel like things are like her fault. Yeah. But I was like, how could she know what a mood disorder is and that your yeah. kid could have one and like any of that stuff. So I think that that was also a concern, like not wanting it to seem like, like a, a blame thing, mm-hmm. but it, it panned out really like smoothly and everything and like um ultimately it led to you know she's been to therapy my sisters have my stepdad has, and so it was ultimately a good unfolding but it was the stigma of it for some reason just feels like scary
0: yeah so. yeah for sure and I once again just going back to your point of like it's just something that in our community is looked at as a luxury and something that perhaps even we're not even like deserving to have because we don't have the luxury to like worry about you know our issues like I had my mom say to one of my therapists once because that was like f everybody I'm going to therapy but she told my therapist she was like you know as a black woman like Krista doesn't have the luxury of like you know feeling down or like being depressed and like all this stuff and my therapist was like okay I mean, like, because what do you say to that? Because it is it's so ingrained in in the mental like capacity of our community to understand, well, if Krista doesn't get therapy, then like all these other things are going to happen. And like, yeah. you know, you can't control your hormones. You can't control like your mental space that you're in, especially if there are things around you that are happening that are causing them. And I'm so glad that we are talking about this more as a community, but even like, just as we kind of wrap up our conversation and going back to your original point of growing up, you experienced a lot of like childhood trauma. What would you say to somebody that was like in a similar situation, right? Where they're like always the odd man out for lack of a better term and like culturally just not understood.
1: Well, it's like it's complicated because there's like it's funny but I feel like the best conversation I had with someone about this was with this Jewish girl and we I don't remember we were like at a model UN conference or something in high school I always remember this conversation because we were talking about this and she was saying how like as a white Jewish person she didn't really have a group either because she wasn't like um very religious so she wasn't quite accepted in that community but then she wasn't quite just white either so she didn't quite fit in there and like we had a really good talk about it and I remember feeling like like realizing that like I didn't need to fit into any of the communities because like there's a community of people who don't fit in any community. Yeah. You know? Like it's like or not needing to. Like I don't feel so much like I need to figure out where I go anymore cuz it's like, oh, I realized that like I belong to a community of people trying to heal. Like that yeah. kind of the larger. There's a lot of intersections in there, of course, but it's like realizing that like you don't need to you don't need to find a box, you know? Yeah. A lot of times it feels like we need to find our box so we can know what to tell people about ourselves and how to identify and what to say, what group we fit into. But like, you know, you don't really need to find a box or it could be a pretty big box that you're in where it's like, it fits a lot of the stuff. Cause I, I tell people all the time, like I I was just saying to someone that I forget that like Latinx Heritage Month Mm -hmm. has anything to do with me. It's so like is that of- for me <laughs> but like not even in a like I just for completely forget yeah but it's because that's just like I don't know I'm more so like focused on like the whole of it and not like even though that's not true maybe because black history month is meaningful so maybe I just need to work <laughs> on that relationship with my identity more <laughs>
0: yeah or I mean and I think this is something that is is true for all of us is this even though aspects of who you are still exist, they're just not as prominent in your life. You know what I mean? And it's not discounting them, but it's just like that is not a space that I grew up identifying with or feeling as though was a a true part of my like essence and how I live my everyday life. So it's not necessarily something I, I celebrate, but if other people celebrate it, like I support it, you know what I mean? And I think that's okay to say too, because we all are like very nuanced individuals and it's hard for us to be like, this is why I identify with this as opposed to this. Mm -hmm. And it's not even rejecting that other identity. It's just like a reality of that is not how I grew up like experiencing my life. Mm -hmm. Cause it's
1: so interesting. Definitely. Like you mentioned Afro Latina and it's like, I do recognize that I'm Afro Latina, but because I've only been hearing it for a tiny fraction of the time that I've existed. It's not, it's not a phrase I reach for. I just am black. Like it's not because it's not, it wasn't available to me. And so it's like, to, it is something like to just shift, like that I would need to intentionally shift in my thinking to start identifying that way. And it's like, is that a
0: priority to me to identify in that way? Maybe not yeah and that's totally fine and Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there should be any guilt or shame associated with it because to your point it's new right and we're all constantly evolving and learning and unlearning certain aspects of what we were taught but at the same time it's still a reality that we live in right it's like I can't completely shift my reality just because there is a new reality Mm -hmm. that everybody is like trying to embrace oh my god let's talk about everybody (laughs) loving hips (laughs) Wow, yeah. Well, and that's like been a a mind fuck for me too. Even in regards to the black community, because some black people are still not as curvy as other black people, and then there becomes that like dichotomy within even the race, where it's like, oh, well, you're overweight, you need to lose weight, and then for girls that are smaller, or oh, like you're so skinny, you need mm-hmm. to gain weight, and it's just that constant. Like picking apart of black women's bodies and over-policing black women's bodies on both sides of the spectrum, yeah. which is ridiculous because honestly, quite frankly, I don't feel like any other woman has to deal with the same like over policing of your body as black women in both regards, right? It's like, why do you care? what is going on with my physical person right now it doesn't have nothing to do with you I'm not doing anything with (laughs) I I am literally just living my life right
1: I feel like everybody's always minding our business
0: yeah for no reason from how our hair grows out of our heads (laughs) to how much weight we put on or take off or what have you it's like yo leave me alone (laughs) well it's because we are we really do we are the blueprint for everything though
1: right like yeah. if you think of any subculture that's like considered cool it traces back to a black woman in some fashion
0: absolutely
1: you look at like even within the queer community like you look at like the way that um like drag and like um all like queer, like identity and culture lingo and all of that stuff. It's all black woman stuff, just
0: yeah. repackaged. It's repackaged, yep, <laughs> it's repackaged to be more acceptable and palpable and it, and to help other people find their own identity. And that is something I don't think the, the world gives black women enough credit for. No. We help everyone figure out their identity, right? And it is, like to your point, and it all stems from Black women and how we exist in the world, you know? And not to go on a super long (laughs) tangent about that, because I can talk about that all day. But (laughs) it definitely is, like, something that I'm glad more of us are talking about and more Black women are standing up for ourselves in regards to, um, because it is a conversation that's very important. Mm -hmm. However, because I do want to be mindful of your time, Mm Last few questions before we go into this lightning round, but if someone were to ask you like, what is a path of trauma to triumph? What would you say to them?
1: I would say the path of trauma to triumph is reclaiming your power like we're so much more powerful than we realize in so many more ways than we realize. And I don't mean like the stereotypical, like strong, powerful. I mean, like our ability to decide things, to shift our mindset, to set a tone, to create energy. Like we have so much access to power through those things. And that's really the way to shift your experience like in life I believe is like just realizing like oh I get to choose I get to choose how I feel I get to choose what I say I get to choose what I respond to and what I do what I give energy to and that's how I can come from a place of pain to a place of like really feeling good and knowing that um knowing that like I can create a good life for myself Um, And it doesn't really matter what happened or what other people have done or what's come before. Because, like, when you reclaim your power, you have it in this moment right now. And so you can do more.
0: I love that. and I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Okay, lightning round. So what is one thing in your life that you are most proud that you've achieved? I don't know. Ah, most proud that I achieved
1: I would say is starting the collective I would say that because I've always known I've always had a heart of service I've always known that I wanted to be of service in some way and I've always done like volunteer work and all of that stuff and starting the collective I think it was like oh this is it like this is the thing that I've been looking for to do
0: and so I'm really proud of it <laughs> and then what's your number one goal for 2022
1: Ah my number one goal for 2022 is
0: to take it easy. That's real. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? Happy. I'm Right. That's all I've got. <laughs> hey, and you know what? And that is Uh, a goal that most of us will never like admit to to saying but it's a very important goal is to be happy and live in alignment with like your purpose and not add extra stress to your life for no reason (laughs) um and then what first impression do you want others to experience when they meet you I want everybody to think I'm funny like instantly (laughs) that's okay. my goal <laughs> love it and then what is one quote you live by in and why Ooh.
1: I would say it I have it tattooed on my arm actually <laughs> um but it's if we're gonna heal let it be glorious and it is from the spoken word that was on lemonade that was written by I can't remember which poet. I have like three names in my head. Yeah. I can't remember which poet, but this. Um, I think that I like at some point I realized that healing could be really beautiful and really glorious and really like expansive and magical. And it, like, yes, a lot of it is hard and rough and all of that stuff. But I think that if we're gonna do it, we should like really go for it. it as a community, as a group. If we're gonna heal, like, I think we could let it be really beautiful
0: yeah well i love that and thank you for having this conversation with me and tell the people where they can find you where they can find um the collective how they can be a part of it all the things yeah um so you can find me mostly on
1: instagram at mel douglas yoga you can find the collective online blackwomensyogacode.com or also on instagram it's Co. we have a YouTube black women's yoga collective um
0: and yeah that's, that's where we're at awesome and i'll add all that to the show notes and thank you all for joining us for this conversation i feel like it was so powerful and in a global conversation that we need to have more often so thank you so much and i will see you on the next trauma and triumph Bye. And there you have it, friends, another episode of Trauma and Triumph. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. And if you're liking what you're hearing so far, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music. See you next week for another triumphant story.